0: What's up, everyone? This is the Open Guard Cast. As always, we are sponsored by Electrum Performance. You can use our coupon code Open Cast 25 to get 25% off all their programs and all their different products. And for this week's episode, uh, we brought Robert Deagle back on. Um, we had him on a few episodes ago, and he's a uh, brown belt under John Donaher, really good with the, the leg lock game and the heel hooks. So we thought it would be, would be cool to talk about the, the IBJJF implementing the heel hooks and the reaping rules and uh, just get his take on it. And it was pretty funny because Robert and I were messaging um, a few days ago and we just kind of had like this really good conversation. He brought up a lot of good points. So I thought it would be really cool to just get him on and, and let everyone in on that conversation. <laughs> so what's yeah, up?
1: Thanks. Uh, not much. Thanks for having me back on, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So everyone has probably heard by now, I think this kind of news came out kind of around pans like two weeks ago that the IBJJF was gonna allow heel hooks and reaping in 2021. So what was your like initial reaction when you heard that news? Uh very positive. I was uh I I was sitting
1: in my living room and I saw I I I had seen I think a reddit thread like the night before people talking about rumors about it and uh I I commented I said this is, if this is true it's more positive than I think people even realize, you know? And and I think for reasons that people maybe uh don't realize actually like there's a lot of i think context you would need to understand like why i think it's going to be such a dramatic and positive change um and i think that a lot i i think a lot of the things people think is going to happen is not going to happen like i think there's a lot of people like when it when it was initially announced right there Mm -hmm. were so many people commenting all all the answers crying right now right like well all the Brazilians are about to be so terrified, even though, like, there are a lot of Brazilians who are very good at leg locks. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, you know, so, like, and, and it's, like, that is, like, so these these people, like, they have this sort of, like, there's been a whole group of people, and we'll obviously talk about this a lot on the podcast, but, like, there's been a whole group of people that claim the fame has, and, like, you could you could throw me in with this, though I I wouldn't like to be grouped with this, these people, but you, their whole claim to fame is that they're leg lockers, right? And that makes like – like people that like – instead of seeing leg locks as being a tool within grappling, they almost sort of like identify with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a – it's like a – you know, they're like edgy gra- – they're not just grapplers. They're edgy grapplers. <laughs> you know what I mean? The fringe. <laughs> yeah, like we break the rules. Like, <laughs> and like, um, you know, I think these people think – that all of the people winning the Nogi Worlds and major IBJ tournaments now are gonna be like, you know, like um, like catch wrestlers or like, um, <laughs> be, yeah, they're gonna be like 10th Planet guys doing, you know, like uh, inverted kamikaze twisters. Uh, but that's, that's, that's not a leg lock, but you know what I mean? Like some crazy, yeah. when it's like, it's way more complicated than that, mm-hmm. but
0: yeah. So you would say that the, the common like misconception going around right now is that people who've been practicing leg locks are ahead of the game and they're going to just jump into these IBJJF tournaments and they're going to win. That's what some people think.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, I want to like give a lot of background context and talk yeah, about like, what, I, what I think is really positive change and some of the misconceptions I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so like one of the big mistakes people make with leg locks, and this goes for people who like leg locks and for people who hate leg locks, is they create this sort of like um, fantastical image around them, which is either super negative or super positive. And it's just sort of, uh, it's way too intense. When in reality, a leg lock isn't conceptually any different than an arm lock. It's a joint lock. And joint locks, can, if, if they're done well, can yield one of two results that can either we are they going to get a submission or if they don't tap a break or we're going to gain a positional advancement, right? Like the, they're going to defend and that's going to allow you to gain a positional advancement. Right. Yep. And like, that's what all joint locks do—leg locks or arm locks. Leg locks aren't this like magic thing that you learn, and then you don't need to learn the rest of jujitsu. A lot of people, I think, they don't even realize this. I think I did this. I think a, a lot of people do this. They they get really into leg locks because deep down they secretly just don't want to—they they don't want to learn other parts of jujitsu. Like internally, they they're, they're kind of, maybe they're there's um, like I know for myself. I, I'll speak for myself. I really struggled with guard passing, and. I just felt like I was terrible at it and I think I saw leg locks as this way to like get really good at jiu-jitsu without learning guard passing and and you know so far in competition I haven't really pa- I passed like I think I've gotten two guard passes ever <laughs> I have like a lot of leg lock wins but that's something I want to change going uh going forward but anyway so let's I want to just go back a bit and give some context uh into this okay so like because it also has a lot to do with just the IBJJF rule set generally speaking right mm-hmm. so the uh, for a long time there have been uh so you've got like the gi and the no gi community the athletes that participate like a lot of athletes cross over in fact most of most though obviously not all of the best athletes do both um but you know, um, let, let's just confine ourselves to a conversation about guys that like stick in just one territory, right? Like guys that focus on um, IBJJF GI and IBJJF Nogi, and guys that are more like Nogi centric and don't really have an interest in IBJJF style tournaments for the most part, right? Yeah. We, these are two clearly defined, not clearly defined, but like observable communities, right? In the competitive mm-hmm. sphere, okay? Um, the IBJJF guys. Especially the GI guys have for a long time had the benefit of having a well established competitive infrastructure with meaning. Okay, so what I mean by that is that every so let's say I'm an IBJJF GI competitor and my goal is to become a black belt world champion at the Mundials, right? That's every GI competitor's goal, right? It's yep. inarguably the pinnacle of the sport. There's a there's a uh, there is an organized and consistent tournament infrastructure for me to work through gain experience and have meaningful wins under so like how many ibgf gi tournaments are there a year there's like a ton right yeah Yeah. every weekend yeah constantly right all and all over the world and Mm -hmm. those tournaments carry meaning you accrue enough points in those tournaments you get to go to the Mundials. and now let's compare that with and then obviously the IBJJF nogi, you know, community, it's a kind of like – for a long time, it was sort of looked down as kind of silly because there were – you took out major aspects of the game. You took out the heel hooks and the reaping, right? That's not to say it's not very hard to win still. It just was kind of looked at as like a little like – not really what we're looking for with a nogi grappling tournament, right? But regardless, it was still consistent and organized, right? Like when I look at an IBJJF tournament, regardless of if, if it's gi or nogi. That looks like a serious sporting event to me, right? Like you 100%. compare it, yeah. You you compare an IBJJF event. You you show someone who's never seen this uh, the sport before. You show them that, and it looks like something to be respected because it's organized. It is uh, stuff starts on time, um, and it's it just like you know. And and if you are more in the know, you understand that it carries meaning. You know what I mean? The the wins there. Yeah. It,
0: tournaments and are seeded now too it's another oh, aspect of it so i
1: didn't i didn't even know that that's great yeah yeah um and and now let's imagine you're a nogi focused competitor okay adcc is the pinnacle of that but guess what adcc comes around once every two years and you've got the trials and then adcc and what do the tournaments have meaning um absolutely none <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not really <laughs> So, so the rest of your competitive year is built up in three main ways. And I know because this was my world, right? I was in this world, right? I mainly competed in, like, you know, good tournaments. Like, I like Naga. I like New Breed. And I, I especially like grappling industries. They're my favorite, like, local tournament, if you will, right? Um, but let's be clear. Like, you can – like, the trick is you can actually beat good people in these tournaments, but people will not care – because they, like, it's not, the tournament itself isn't meaningful. Like, I've beaten good people in these tournaments. Like, I, I went to a tournament once, it was a grappling industries, and I submitted three black belts. Who, I, I won more than these matches, but three of my matches were black belts who were full-time instructors, and I was I was actually arguing with someone online who was like, uh, you only beat scrubs at that tournament. I was like, well, <laughs> okay, that, that, those, guys, those guys were all full-time black belt instructors. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they're good, but I, I know who those guys were, and I do consider them good. Um, but uh, anyway, and then you've got super fights, which is kind of like the super. In a sense, super fights are to the no gi community what IBJJF opens where the gi community. Right, that's kind of what everyone. If you're if you're an IBJJF, if you're a young athlete who focuses on the gi tournaments, right, the IBJJF circuit your goal is kind of like to get on the podium and get a cool picture of that for your Instagram. Right. If you're, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're like a young 16 year old kid. That's what you're thinking about doing, you know? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a goal to achieve. They're trying to get
0: sponsors, trying to get attention, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're a Nogi, you're that same kid in Nogi, your goal is to get on like, you know, submission frenzy eight, you know it's it's a super fight a super fight event held in some like ratty gymnasium uh with like you know dumb promo posters and stuff (laughs) (laughs) like you know like that's your goal right because like the super fights that that is really the goal in nogi like gi super fights exist but they're definitely rarer right it's noticeably rarer um like a lot of super fight tournaments won't even hold Gi matches. Like some do, Polaris does. Has Kasai ever had a Gi match? I'm not. Sure. They probably have, actually. Yeah, they have. Yeah, I'm, pre- okay. I'm but, pretty sure. Yeah. But but they definitely are known for their no Gi. That's
0: mm.
1: pretty clear. I I've watched every single, yeah. I've watched every single Kasai event, and I I I think I remember a few Gi matches here and there, but like they're they're few and far between. And the reason for that is because the the ghee guys are like, well, I'm doing IBJJF. I have good tournaments to do already right like that have meaning so and then the, the last thing um in the nogi world is um uh, oh yeah it's adCC I already mentioned that so you' got those three competitive avenues in nogi the problem is it's very disorganized and inconsistent and like kind of all over the place so for instance like I beat like the flow grappling rankings are as meaningful as like a watch mojo top 10 most powerful Avengers list. Okay. <laughs> Clearly marketing antics. Okay. Let's be clear, but I'll pretend it matters for a second. Cause it benefits me here. I beat a guy who was ranked number 10 in the world at, or sorry, number 13 in the world. I, I did beat an, a guy who was ranked number 10, but that's not the match I'm referencing here. That was at the trials, but I beat a guy who was ranked number 13 in the world at a local Naga I didn't get any credit for it. Why didn't I get ranked? You know what I mean? Like, but if that was a flow grappling super fight, I would have gotten ranked. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause it's a lot of, it's like, you know, it's because it wasn't, it was, I mean, it's recorded. I have a video of it, right. You can see it on my Instagram, uh, but it wasn't like on the official flow grappling channel. You know what I mean? Right. It's not on their radar. Exactly. Um, whereas, so 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 it's unfortunate because the wind is a good wind but it doesn't carry any meaning because like nobody has nobody has seen it or heard of it right (laughs) uh like uh you know and so um i'm not mentioning who it was because i'm not i don't this isn't about me like gassing myself off i'm just trying to make a point Mm -hmm. you know um and like so basically you had a a situation in, in no gi all of this stuff has an influence on the development of skill actually because what happens at, competitions are a very important driving factor on a sociological level for the development of skill among athletes in a community uh robert drysdale uh has yeah, i think he's one of the smartest guys in jiu-jitsu he I, I had a few brief interactions with him in reddit comments about his his new uh, documentary coming out uh, open closed guard closed guard is the name of the documentary sorry yeah a- and we talked a little bit about how the really in his opinion and i'm, I'm very excited to see how he uh, corroborates this with the documentary but in his opinion the IBJJF, the onset of major tournaments in the 90s was the single biggest driving factor for the growth of modern jujitsu and i think that it's pretty clear to anyone that understands how skill develops that that is Almost definitely true, right? Like I would argue heel hooks became – really dro- were driven to the level they were by the onset of EBI and the sub-only tournament scene, which which did a really good thing in that sense, right? Yes. What, uh, so like when you take athletes and you have them engage in competitions within a specific rule set, what happens is over time, over time two things happen. The development of, like, core optimal strategies, they emerge over time, right? The guys that consistently win over time, what they're doing starts to influence the rest of the community. Like, I mean, you can see this. Like, EBI is a great example of this, right? Uh, I can give more – honestly, I can give more no examples because I'm just, like, in that world. It's hard for me to give mm-hmm. gee examples. I'm just not educated on it, to be honest. Like, everyone was trying to copy the DDS, rightfully so. That's not a bad thing. Right. You see, so, if you're an idiot. If you see someone doing something that works and you don't try to copy that, you're an idiot. Right. If I see someone doing something that is intelligent and makes sense, I, I'm going to look at what they're doing. I'm going to try to figure it out and I want to try to do it like that's what intelligent people do. Right? I
0: think a key example would be uh, Keenan with his worm guard. Uh, like you okay, started yeah. doing it and using the lapels a lot from bottom position and just making it really difficult for people to pass. And then you saw that kind of trickle down to all the lower belts and now pretty much everyone's doing it. Okay. Well, there you go. So
1: that. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's funny. I actually have uh, uh like worm guard instructional, but like I have never studied
0: it. I have not I figured someday maybe I'll watch it. Yeah, uh, when you start competing in the gi. I, well,
1: I, uh, maybe we'll get to this on the podcast. I plan on competing in the gi. In the yeah, future.
0: well, de- let's definitely get to that. We'll, we'll save that for later. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep.
1: There's a specific reason why I want to actually. but um. So anyway, uh, uh, just continuing with uh, my line of thought. Okay, so you've got a competitive community with a specific agreed-upon rule set that we use to determine like who's the best, Right. That's going to drive skill in a certain direction over time, right? In the gi, there's one single agreed-upon rule set. In no gi, because it's so fractured, you just have so much random variance. And, and what happens is you get more of like um, – you get more of like a – it becomes more like tribalistic and like weird almost. Like you get these guys – you get the guys that are like hashtag leglocks for life. You get, which it's it's like, I love leg locks. Let's make no mistake. But like, to kind of turn it into like a, a thing about your personal identity, I think is so weird. It's like, it's a move, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, and like, and you know, there's a, and then there's people that are the opposite that are like, just leg locks are the most terrifying thing ever. We should never do them, right? Both sides are, are making a mistake there. And <clears throat> like, and, and, and then you also have like the situation in Nogi where it's like, you know, you lose under one rule set it doesn't like like let's like the guy who's the best in EBI rules is completely different from the guy who's the best at adcc right like you could i mean you could be the best at i I shouldn't say you're completely different because like you could just be so much better than everyone else that it doesn't matter right but like let's say we took a thousand people and we put them in like on an island and you just had them you know compete for 15 years in EBI rules and then you did the same thing on another island with ADCC rules. You're going to have very different grapplers at the time, uh, you know, at the For end sure. of that. You know, the the a- e- EBI guys are going to all be sitting on their butts and double guard pulling and stalling to overtime and getting really good at back control and on, and on bar position, right? That's, they're going to you're going to see a lot of that. ADCC, you're going to see a lot of like takedowns. You're going to see a lot of people who are very good at scrambling to the back, right? Among other things, right? And of yeah. course, you're going to have variance among individual competitors but generally speaking you're going to see certain trends i think now with the uh, the only thing that really kept the hashtag leg locks for life crowd outside of the ibjjf circuit was you know i mean it was it's what kept me out of it which was the ban on helix right which was a very stupid rule but now with that gone I think what we're going to see is all of the positive aspects of the IBJJF Gi circuit have now been also given to the no Gi community, right? Organization, consistency. Um, Like one, a, a common criticism I have levied against me is that I have not consistently enough faced good opposition. I don't actually think that's true. I think I've gone against a lot of very good people and I can show it. I have the videos and stuff, but regardless, that criticism would hold low water if I was able to just do IVJJF no tournaments, right? Like, and anyone who knows me knows it's not for, like, lack of trying. Like, I tried to get super fights constantly. It's been very hard for me to get super fights. I've talked to numerous promoters who told me that people won't take matches with me. Like, I'm too high-risk, low-reward, right? Like, I get it. Like, what the fuck have I won, right? Like, I, you know, I've beaten good people, but I'm not, like, a big enough name that the risk isn't worth it for a lot of these guys, right? And I and I'm a, I don't like callouts. I've done like two callouts ever and they just not <laughs> anything, So I stopped. <laughs> yeah. But like um so now what we're going to have is a a tournament circuit where the best are consistently going to be facing a, a, what I hope I hope everyone just comes together and says, fuck it we're doing IVDF tournaments now. Like this is where we can determine who's the best. Everyone can just sign up. I mean it's just it's just the best tournament series by fucking far. If I fucking far. It's even and I'll say this and I'm going to ruffle some feathers, it's better than ADCC, guys. It's way better than ADCC, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know ADCC is the Olympics of grappling. I love ADCC, but IBJJF is better. I don't like the invites. I think it makes for a lot of like gimmicky stupidity. It's it, it kind of detracts from the merit-based nature of it, and I don't like honestly the trial system. It, it, it it's 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 not organized
0: enough. Yeah, I did want to touch on this cuz this is something we we spoke about in our messages was just that the Jeff has all these consistent events throughout the years. It gives people practice in that rule set. ADCC has, you know, a few, whatever right. regional events or whatever you would want to call them, but they're not very consistent. It doesn't seem like they're run by the same people. They're, they're uh, not. Yeah. The quality's not the same as the ADCC yeah. worlds. So do you want to touch on that a little bit too?
1: Yeah. So you have to understand, I mean, I don't even really understand and, and I've done a ton of research, tried to figure it out how ADCC works on like a top brass level. I don't think anyone really knows. Like they're a very mysterious organization. Like, uh, uh, like, and, and the quality of the tournaments varies very dramatically. So ADCC Europe, they tend to be very professional looking, very good looking. Right. And then there's like, you know, I don't want to name, like, bad ones because, like, I might meet these people and stuff. But, like, there's some that you're like, oh, my God. There's only a
0: few. <laughs> yeah. <but> if- <laughs> so you probably, by the process of elimination, figure it out. <laughs> right, right. It's not your applause, but,
1: Like, yeah, it's like – I just think when you look at these events, it's like, oh, it's just, it looks terrible. It looks yeah. like – it just doesn't look like a like a, like a a well-run tournament. And that's not mm-hmm. to say – I mean, it, I wasn't there. Maybe it was, right? But, like, I I uh, – Am going through right now all of the old ADCC trials, trying to find as many matches as I can. I'm very interested in because, like, even though I think that IBJJF nogi t- tournament series is in some ways better than ADCC, let's be clear. For a long time, ADCC was the premier nogi organization with actual meaning. So, like, it's very important to the history of our sport. So I've, I've been going back and re- watching everything, and a lot of these events, they just look very like amateur, you know. And then, but you look at it, you're like. Some of them were fucking awesome. Like, okay, I'll give a specific example. The uh, 2015 Sao Paulo-Brazil South American trials. uh, Actually, this is a really good example of the problem with the trial system. That trials was fucking awesome. Okay, this is a fucking ridiculous fact. There were two trials leading up to the 2017 – wait, I'm sorry. The 2015 – there were two South American trials leading up to the 2015 um, World Championship for ADCC. Okay? Mm -hmm. There were in in many cycles, there have only been one South American trial. Okay, so, for instance, there have been 12 Asian uh, and Oceania trials and 12 South American trials. But the Asian and Oceania trials started in 2008, whereas the Brazil trials started in the South American trials started in 2003. That's because the regional organizations are I don't know. I don't know how who decides how many trials get put in each region. I really don't know. But I, you can see that. I mean, the regional organizations are running the trials, so maybe they're not doing a good job. Like I'm not sure. Whereas the Asian Oceania region, usually there's been one major fuck up in Kazakhstan, if anyone remembers that. But usually, always <laughs> has two trials, and they do a good job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, the one year for 2015, there were two South American trials. They were within the same two weeks. Think about that. That's it's just insane. And like – and what's ridiculous about this is that region, there have only been 12 people to ever win the trials and then win gold at the world championships. That region, South America, has produced 10 of them, okay?
0: Was it maybe like Rio and Sao Paulo or something like that?
1: Yeah, they did Sao Paulo and then they did Rio the next week, the okay. next fucking week. And <laughs> out of those – it's ridiculous. And then out of those two trials, you 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 got three ADCC gold medalists. Davi Ramos, Claudio Calasans, and I forget who the third was, but there there was a third. Um, and it's just like, <laughs> what are we doing, guys? <laughs> like this is the this is the most dominant region. And if it was pure merit, they would always have two trials. They should always have. It is inexcusable to me that the lowest performing regions, Europe and Asia, almost always get two trials. Europe has always had two trials. Okay. Europe and North America have had the same amount of trials, 16 they've had the most, but uh, Europe and Asia are the two lowest performing regions, but they all have way more trials than South America, which is the highest performing region, which has like the least amount. So if you're a Brazilian athlete, it's fucking hard to get You're you're better off trying to get an invite for the most part. Right. Like, um, and like, that's, I think not what it's not what we want. Right. Like, Whereas with IBJF tournaments, you could correct me for the Mediallas. I I don't know as much, right? Oh, it's just about accruing points, right? You accrue points and then you go.
0: Yeah, right? you just need points. Doesn't matter about your nationality, what tournaments you got the points at, doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's way better. Um uh, I think that's way, way better. And, and like it's purely merit based. It's only about merit. It doesn't there's no like, you know, like <clears throat> like Dylan Dennis getting an invite and then not doing it because his girlfriend broke out with him, right? Like, that's an invite that could have gone to, like, somebody who, like, I don't know, it's, like, it it, it hurts my heart to hear stuff like that because it people want to do it so bad, and then, like, yeah. it's just kind of, like, a not great way of, of doing it, um, you know, and, like, you know, whereas with the IBGF, it's pure merit-based. It's pure merit-based, and it constantly takes the best guys and throws them against each other, and what that does is over time – People develop skill, they grow, the meta develops, right? What I hope we see happen now with the IBDJF allowing heel hooks and reaping is I hope that we see a dissolution of the division in the no-gi community, okay, among the guys that are like, <clears throat> you know, like the people that continue to say stuff like, I'm more of a sub-only grappler, that's why I lost. I hope people can start to see this more and more as just an excuse, okay? Because before you could say – and I think this is actually a valid criticism. You could say, well, I would have won if heel hooks were present, right? Yes, probably. I I did one IBJF no-gi tournament uh, ever, and I got TQ'd in 10 (laughs) seconds. I did not know knee bars were illegal. Uh, I was a purple belt. Oh,
0: wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny yeah not, I not get, funny for you i'm sorry well, it's funny no, it was, looking back on it <laughs> it's hilarious no I don't, i'm not mad about it whatsoever it
1: absolutely hilarious i went i went back to henzo's and i was like so ashamed i thought
0: i thought Danaher. i, was like, was I got a so- knee bar in my first match yeah
1: <laughs> well, i thought Danaher was gonna be like like kind of like disappointed like oh, you're you're an idiot you know the rule set but uh gordon told him what happened and danaher starts crying he's like that is the best possible way that tournament could have gone for you. <laughs> so, That's like, awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, like, uh, but anyway, I'm pretty confident I would have at least meddled if heel hooks were legal in that tournament, right? Mm-hmm. I think I probably could have won, but I think I definitely would have at least meddled if heel hooks were present, right? Regardless, they weren't, and it went as it went. But so that is, I think, a valid criticism. It does sort of like arbitrarily limit the range of submission options. Um, and, and it, kind of did something bad for the sport for a while but now that it's not there it's going to do something very good which it's going to take i hope everyone in the community and say okay guys these are tournaments that if you are a serious athlete you can look at the calendar you can say all right that's when this tournament's going to be that's when that tournament's going to be that's when that tournament's going to be whereas before you didn't really have that you know and and all those tournaments are going to have meaning you know what i mean Whereas before you kind of had to like rely on the whims of does this promoter want to put me on this super fight event, right? Um, am I gonna get invited to some random submission only tournament in two weeks that I didn't hear about, right? Um, you know, um, stuff like that. And 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 there, and just to, just to add because I know people are gonna be thinking of this, there are absolutely valid reasons to criticize the IBJJF. I think that the advantage point thing is like a pretty clear, like it seems to. I, I don't know if there's direct evidence for this, but it seems to me pretty clearly kind of like allowing the refs to sort of favor who they want because it, it seems very vague. Um, and also like – I actually – what's funny is I don't actually think of them badly in this sense. A lot of people are like they're, they're money-grubbing. They're just profit-driven. Yeah, okay, they're
0: a for-profit company. <laughs> yeah, mean? that – I mean when people say that, I'm just like you're rolling my eyes. I'm like do you want them to – put on tournaments around the world do you want them to have these big events like what do you think they're going to just do it on their own dime like they don't have this big investor just shoving them a bunch of money
1: (laughs) yeah so stupid The, the reason why adcc can hold spectacular events and not really make a profit i think the last one did make a profit on ticket sales but like uh historically not really make a profit is because there's just some rich Arab guy financing it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like exactly, which is great, I guess. But like you know, that's not like um. So, okay, this is a, this is a related topic.
0: I we did have one there's... question actually before. Oh sure. If you don't, sure, if you, if I can jump in. Um. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about people who you know have good heel hook arsenal or whatever attacks, leg lock attacks. Jumping into IBJJF tournaments, do you feel like this is gonna potentially discourage people from competing in the grappling industries the nagas maybe there were like really good grapplers who competed in those tournaments and they were you know complete grapplers who would normally compete in IBJJF but they just didn't feel like being limited with their leg lock attacks
1: i really don't um i don't think it's gonna have a dramatic impact because like i mean so like it will have something of an impact but not like a dramatic one like so for instance i can speak for myself i have won 19 grappling industries tournaments i've won more than Mm -hmm. anyone in the world so i was doing those all the time and i have like i've won like 10 nagas and like seven new breeds and shit like i i I did a ton of those tournaments because that was what was available right Mm -hmm. if i can't get good super fights if you know the trials aren't going to come trials are very inconsistent what am i going to do okay i'm doing these open tournaments that's what i was doing yeah. but now with the ibjjf that's mainly what i'm going to do i'm just going to do like eight IBJJF tournaments a year and that's probably going to be like almost the only thing i do maybe outside of trials i might mm-hmm. do i might do small like if you know if there are some local tournaments nearby that happen to be happening i might do that like who knows but like my focus yeah. is going to ibjjf and adcc right which mm-hmm. everyone's focus now should be um, and I think that most of the people that are doing, uh, like a, like a grappling industries or a Naga are not people that are like serious competitors, right? Like for the most part, it's more like local guys. You will get good people on occasion, right? Like I can give you a list of good black belts I've gone against. Right. I think especially actually what's been interesting is in the pandemic, you've gotten a lot of good people at these air quote local tournaments because there have been no other options.
0: Yeah. It's the only way to compete. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Right. So, I competed in a grappling industries in Austin, Texas, which had a lot of very good people in it, right? People that I think would normally not do – like there was a guy who the night before had a fight-to-win match. He won the match. He um, he signed up for the tournament. I heel hooked him in 30 seconds, you know? Like I don't think that guy normally would have done that tournament, you know, but he um, like just starved for competition, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so – I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on them, to be honest.
0: Okay. Sorry to jump in with that one. I just no. want to get that out there, but <laughs> I, I think you had another oh, point you were getting into. Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was just going to talk about a little bit about, like, try to unravel this criticism of the IBGF as a profit-driven thing, like which I don't see as is an issue whatsoever. It's like, yeah. okay, guys, we have to understand grappling is not a spectator-friendly combat sport, which drives ticket sales or pay-per-view sales okay for the most part right do people pay for it to watch adcc i mean i pay for flow grappling other people pay for flow grappling of course right sure they're making a lot of money but like we're talking about like in terms of actual big numbers that can sustain professional athletes no that's it's not doing those kinds of numbers okay like there are not you know there are not big enough numbers that most competitors can live off of the the profits they would make from competing right and even the guys that could hypothetically live off of that it doesn't make sense for them to they they make most of their money on instructional sales and things like that okay is that a problem well it's only a problem if you don't understand that there are no grappling sports like that okay the 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 two biggest grappling sports in the world wrestling and judo are not for-profit spectator sports those sports are only able to exist they're amateur sports just like jujitsu is The only reason they're able to exist is because they're government funded. Okay, they're in the Olympics. Right. So that's and they're in the scholastic system. That's why they exist. Jiu Jitsu is kind of in the rare position of being a very popular grappling art, which is not in the scholastic system. It's not funded by the government because it's not in the Olympics. And it's also not a spectator friendly combat sport. So, for instance, like, boxing, MMA, kickboxing, Muay Thai. These are spectator-friendly combat sports. You can take your idiot buddy that doesn't know anything about fighting. You could take them to, like, Lumpini Stadium in Thailand, and they'll be like, yeah, he's kicking his fucking head off, right? Like, you know, it's, like, entertaining. You take him to an IBJJF tournament, and you're like, look, check out what he's doing with De La Hiva there. Look at that. And he's like, this is fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, to be honest, like, I don't – like I love grappling, but like I understand how if you don't really have the time to really dive deep on it, it is fucking weird and boring. And like think about this. In striking sports, you never have to pitch it to anyone. Actually, guys, grappling is super not gay and very cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> like like and like I agree that is the case, but like we the fact that we have to pitch that demonstrates something to us about the fact that it's it's not really great for generating revenue in terms of ticket sales. Okay, yeah. so Jiu Jitsu is not in the position where it can rely on government funding, and it's not in a position where it can drive ticket sales. Well, our choice is like, are we gonna try to make it drive ticket sales or are we gonna charge people to compete? And the, the IBJF obviously charges people to compete. And what you get for that is you basically get the, the competitors as a stand-in for government funding, okay? Which means the tournament is able to be driven by merit it's not about trying to drive ticket sales. Whereas in the Nogi community for a long time, they kind of tried to copy the MMA model, right? You have this sort of like the super fight is – think about the term super fight. The term super fight originated from like tournament organizers who would put together one major – like there would be the tournament. And then you'd have, ah, but there's also these two OG black belts are going to have a match. So it's a super fight, right? That came – Think about how the term superfight has been watered down. Now, like two blue belts having a match on fight to win is a super fight.
0: <laughs> like,
1: it's just a match, you know what I mean? But like, we call it a super fight. It's like, and like, it's.
0: Dude, it's, they're all super fight champions. Uh, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't even like, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> the point I'm getting at is it's like, it's it's a very clear attempt to emulate the. MMA model or like the striking combat sports model and it's like you know godspeed I hope I'm wrong it'd be really cool if I'm wrong it'd be so fucking sick if like the best grapplers were making like like Habib and Justin Gagey just happened and like my brothers that don't train were like super excited about it and stuff right they're never gonna be like bro you see who just won ADCC bro <laughs> like it's never gonna happen I hope I'm wrong it would be fucking awesome if I was, but I don't think I am. And so the question is, OK, if that if that's an unrealistic goal and I even think pursuing that too heavily damages damages jujitsu, because like let me, let me give you an example. There's like so much gimmickry that happens. Like the third. Did you see that third cross grappling like I guess <laughs> <like, laughs> the they kids are all rumble the kids were a rumble. And then also like the, the mom and the, the, sorry, the the husband and wife that went against the other husband and wife. And it's like, it's like, I I feel
0: like they have to change the rules a lot to try and make it exciting or flashy. And I I agree with you.
1: Right. So that's a circus act, right? And like, that's fine. Circus acts and freak shows are fine, but I'm interested in engaging in a serious merit-based sport, not in like, you know, circus foolishness. Right. I mean, that's that's just how I see it. And like I don't want to have to engage in circus act foolishness if I don't have to, right? If I am more than willing as a competitor to pay to compete, if that means the tournaments I get are serious, organized, consistent, on time, and meaningful. If, if that's what I get when I pay, I'm more than willing to do it because, again, I'm not a professional competitor. I'm not – a lot of jujitsu jitsu athletes don't like hearing this. You're not a professional athlete. Okay, you're 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 a professional instructor who competes because there's a number of reasons why you could compete. Right. But you're not a professional athlete. Literally, no one in this sport is like even the people that could be professional athletes really aren't. Right, because they're not living. They, most of their money is not coming from competition, right? Do you get know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not that's not a that's not an insult. You know who else is not a professional athlete? Olympic athletes. Like, you know what I mean? It's a, that's an amateur. Those are amateur tournaments, right? That that's not to say that it's you're not at, like. To me, they're the most elite athletes in the world. Guys that you know, Olympic athletes, right? Like, uh, saying you're not a professional athlete is not. It doesn't devalue what you're doing. We just need to put it in in, in its right context so that, like, uh, I I think we can look at things in the right way. Well, I shouldn't say the right way, but we look at things in a way which helps us to see that, um, like, I want to focus on what is really valuable about competition. And to me, what's really valuable about competition is getting to test your ideas against stiff opposition. And more so than anything else, that's what I think we're going to get with uh, the IBJJF Nogi tournament, allowing heel hooks and reaping. And, and, and we're going to have a situation where ideas are going to be tested in ways they've never been before. And I'm I'm, I'm very, very uh, excited about that. That's just one way to look at competition. The other way to look at competition, the other way to look at competition is that it's like you want to prove you're the best as an individual. And that's not wrong. There's something wrong with that, right? That's that's like i think most guys in mma are like that right that's not really my personality but i have friends that i I can think right now one of my friends if i said to him like what i just said about like trying to test your ideas he'd be like no i'm just trying to prove that i'm fucking better than everyone (laughs) he said to me verbatim he's like i compete because i want to smack all these fuckers (laughs) (laughs) Like, like that's okay fair enough right like uh but like I'm kind of ranting. I, I hope what I'm saying makes no, sense. No, it
0: does. I, said, I, I do have one okay. one question I thought of too. Um, so let's say you're a grappler and you want to make money from grappling, like like you were mentioning, like you're probably not going to do it just from competing, just yeah. from your prize money. You're probably going to have to be a coach or have an academy or whatnot. Do you think in the long run it's more lucrative to pay for your tournaments as a lower belt, become an IBJJF black belt world champion, gear nogi? And that's going to give you a name that's going to allow you to release instructionals that have thousands of downloads and a, a school that people want to train at and they want to learn from you. Do you think that's a better route than just saying I want to be a professional professional grappler? So I'm just going to do fight to win. I'm going to do third coast. I'm only going to do events that pay me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. In the long run, that's what you should do. Like, so for instance, like I I had a conversation with a friend once where like I've been paid to compete. The most I've ever made. To, I want to tournament where i got a grand once right that's Mm -hmm. great i'm not gonna turn that down like we're very happy to get that right um but guess what that's not paying my rent (laughs) you know what i mean that's nice rent (laughs) yeah that's nice but it's not it's not like it's not getting me by um now uh the trick is is like uh and that's because i won i beat four other guys to get there so because you could say to me, ah, but what if you did that every weekend? Okay, so you better win every weekend then, right? Like, yeah, and that, and it's – yeah, but um, in the long run, you're way better off focusing on building your your brand. You know what I mean? If you want to make money in jujitsu, jitsu that should always be primarily about that, building your brand over time. Because you have to – the way I see it in jiu-jitsu, as a, as a full-time jiu-jitsu person, right – Your job consists – your job, your profession primarily is an instructor, okay? And most people actually don't give a shit about how good you are, okay? So like for instance, you could win – like just because you – you could win IBJJF Worlds seven times and some guy who's never won a Naga down the block could be crushing you in terms of memberships at his – I see it
0: all the time. It's crazy
1: and 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 what you have to understand is if you are so like so you you want to try to understand business that doesn't mean don't get good it should be the case that you're in my opinion you're pursuing competition because you love it because you like it for no other reason right i love grappling because i like pursuing something and learning about it and gaining skill over time right like I'm, i like experimenting and exploring and shit right I want to get as good as I possibly can for. I think competition is almost exclusively personal. Now, can you get professional benefits from it? Right. Like, so for instance, i okay at the highest level. Yes. If you're Lachlan Giles and you have a performance where you get bronze medal ABCC by heel hooking a bunch of fucking giants, like, yes, that's a horse. Like, I'm sure that. He's made so much more money than he would have otherwise because of that, right? So at the extreme end of it, right, when you're like so spectacularly stupid successful that everyone knows who you are, that does help a lot, right? But like, okay, do you think that uh, the guy who Gordon beat in the finals of ADCC, Vinicius Trattor, um, do you think he's crushing me on instructional sales? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know if he
0: has one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I yeah. My my point is is that like he's much more accomplished than I am, undeniably, right? Um, I don't think that he is necessarily doing. If if we're if he's selling instructionals, I I would be shocked if they were doing better than mine. I I, I would think they probably are doing. I don't, I wouldn't think he's doing terrible because he is well known. But like uh uh like they I think they'd be probably kind of close, right? And like it should that be the case if he's much more accomplished than me? Well, not you know what I mean, in terms of if there's a direct correlation, my point is there isn't a direct correlation,
0: right? Yeah, even taking the comparison to you out, like he's not a well, he's not a household grappling name,
1: right, right. Yeah. so that's I mean, that's my point. you know what I'm saying. And then i I, I can mention people who are who are infinitely less accomplished than him. Who are very famous, who make a fucking killing on instructional sales, okay? Like there's, there are people out there like that, and that's not a bad thing. That's because, uh, what drives someone to buy instructional is not there's not a direct correlation between how good someone is and how valuable the instructional content is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't. That's not how it works. Um, so like, anyway, my point is that if you're gonna pursue jujitsu full time, I think you got to see it as there's two sides to this coin you you know you want to learn how the business actually works and and get good at that but then also in my opinion if you're pers- like if you're pursuing jujitsu it should be because you love jujitsu right and and competition is is doesn't have to be a part of that but it can be a part of that i know guys that don't compete that are very very good but um you know like do you get what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah 100 percent. yes anyway sorry no, it's okay. No, it's all good. That was super, super good. I thought that was a really in-depth explanation. Mm-hmm. So I think people are going to be surprised to hear that coming from you, just knowing that you are so good at the heel hooks and, you know, mm-hmm. you've been competing in these, uh, you know, these tournaments that that allow that type of thing, that mm-hmm. how favorably you look upon JGF and their rule set and everything like that. So an- another thing I wanted to get into that we I talked to you a little bit about before the show is mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the IBJJF competitors, and I'm seeing it already, are starting to train heel hooks, starting to train uh, reaping and those type of positions. So what would be your advice to someone who's spent their whole career competing in the IBJJF? They've done gi and no gi. They're primarily a, you know, focused on the, that rule set, how they can best implement the heel hooks and the reaping positions into their game. Uh-huh. Or even if they should, like it, should they focus on adding that or should they focus on defense? Like what's, right. what's your take on that?
1: Well, I'd give two general recommendations really to anyone, but especially to people that are, let's say they're like high-level black belts, but they have no experience with leg locks, right? Which is a thing. There are people like that, right, that have only competed in IBJF tournaments and never touched leg locks. But this applies to everyone. The first thing I would learn is defense, okay? Like everyone is going to have to learn the defense, period. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be good at leg lock offense to win at the highest level. But if you want to win at the highest level, you absolutely need leg lock defense because one of the great advantages of leg locks is the, they're a readily available attack in almost every single situation, right? It's so much easier to initiate a leg lock exchange than it is to initiate an arm lock exchange because there are simply more situations in which leg locks are available. So what that means is that because they're all over the place, if you're not good at defending them— the odds are you're probably going to get caught with one eventually, right? Maybe not this match, maybe the ne- not the next match, but eventually, if you're if you're not good at defending them, and if your defense is just oh I just won't tap, your career is <laughs> going to be very short. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, like I I think that you're going to see people being forced to learn the correct intelligent defense, okay? Which isn't which isn't widely understood yet. And then um the other thing that I would recommend. Is understand how leg locks situate within the wider positional strategy of jujitsu. Okay. In my opinion, a, a survey of like the history of our sport demonstrates there's one core strategy, one optimal strategy most athletes in a points format have engaged in, whether it's gi or no gi, and that's positional advancement in pursuit of the back, which is basically. Like, if, you know, like that four-step system Dan Hurt talked about on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's that's what it is. Like, that is – like, it's hilarious. They they knew it all along. We should have just been doing that the whole time. <laughs> like, you know, they put someone on his back, get past his legs, get to his back, right? That is the, – the best guys, that's mainly what they're doing. Now, where do leg locks situate into that? Well, they situate into it in the same way that arm locks situate into it, right? Joint locks are useful towards that strategy in two chief ways. Let's let's pretend right now we're going against somebody who refuses to tap no matter what. So if we apply a joint lock successfully, that means we're going to get one of two positive outcomes. Either we're going to break their limb, which is going to physically inhibit them. What's the benefit of them being physically inhibited? It's easier for us to make positional advancements. If I break both your legs, you're going to have a harder time standing. If you have a harder time standing, I'm going to be able to put you on your back. And that, that's the first step done, right? If I break both your arms, you're going to have a hard time keeping me from getting behind you. <laughs> your arms are both broken, right? <laughs> if both your legs are broken, both your arms are broken. I should be able to get behind you and strangle you pretty easily. <laughs> um where the second positive outcome of the successful application of a joint lock is going to be. You don't want to get broken, so you defend, right? That's what I recommend you should do. And if you defend against an arm lock or a leg lock, there are certain defensive reactions that that produces which enable us to make positional advances. So, for instance, I think th- there are more than these, but these, I think, are the two most common you see. So with leg locks, the most common defensive reaction is the guy will put his hips to the mat, okay? The guy will throw his own hips to the mat. So in order to not get leg locked, they go down to the mat. And there are mechanical re- and uh, there are mechanical reasons for that. Uh, and uh, for an arm lock, usually the guy will not not always. It's a little more varied, but probably the most common defensive reaction is you see the guy grab his hands together, right? Someone gets a kimura or they go for a straight arm lock. What's the guy gonna do? Oftentimes they grab their hands, right? And when that happens, if your hands are connected, how can you stop me from getting behind you? It's much much harder, right? So when you look at leg locks in this wider context as being it's a piece of the puzzle and the puzzle is like that's not to say like look if i'm grappling somebody and my mindset is put him on his hips get behind him but then the opportunity for a heel hook presents itself i will absolutely take it of course i will you're an idiot if you don't right like my game is very much centered around heel hooks i love heel hooks and that's never going to change that's that's not going anywhere it's just that we need to be clear. We need to understand. When we're looking for that heel hook, if we imagine a scenario where, where we just the – the guys just simply going to refuse to tap, which there are people like that, you breaking his leg will not win you the match, okay? And if you go after the leg locks uh, and you only think about breaking his leg, you miss opportunities to positionally advance, right? You've yep. got to have a plan for when the leg lock itself is not enough to get you the tap, because there will be times when that's the case. The next step, get on top, right? And so I think that when, if leg locks are taught this way, because like the way leg locks, I think, uh, you know, Danaher's commentary on that podcast about why leg locks are so shunned is very accurate, which is that a lot of people look at them as a failure of the core, that core optimal strategy I described, right? And sometimes it is. You know, you like I, I think early in my career I sort of used it as like a crutch. I beat a lot of people. I don't think I really, sh- maybe air quote, should have because I was like, I was super obsessed with leg locks um, because I was like, I didn't want to have to learn guard passing. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> it was intimidating to me. So I used it as this sort of arbitrary, artificial crutch where I was like. I should have been learning everything, but I just sort of relied on this, you know, and and that's bad. We should not, as coaches, we don't want to encourage that. That's not a good thing. It's limiting our grapplers. However, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn that because if you situate it within the wider context of the strategy of positional advancement, it's unbelievably beneficial. I initially got into leg locks. I was at one point primarily a gi competitor, Okay. I initially got into leg locks because I, so um, I was training uh, and uh, I, I, I was very good at the time uh, at like triangles and I played a lot of like like uh, like spider guard type stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I look for some spider guard and stuff like that. And like, but in Nogi, when they in the gate, they stood up. I felt like I could still work with that. Right. But in Nogi, when they stood up, I was like, I have fucking nothing. I have nothing here. So I started to ask, like, okay, what could the next step be? And I, and I, that was actually what initially got me into leg locks. I started to think, okay, they're standing up on me. Okay, I could, I could chase the leg lock here, or I'd rather the, the next thing available, uh, the legs are available, so I would go for that, right? And that's, I think, the start of the right direction. I just went too deep, <laughs> not too deep, because like it's not like you can never get too good at something, right? It's just rather that I, I neglected other areas which I shouldn't have been, uh, and uh, like that's. That's what I hope to see happen with leg locks. This, this dissolution of leg locks is being kind of seen as this, like, fantastical, exotic thing. You know, guys that shit on it too hard or guys that love it too much. Now it's just it's just a part of jiu right? Like, there's a reason why there's, like, 30 Instagram pages for leg lock content, but I don't – are there any arm lock pages?
0: I don't know of it. <laughs> there's a lapel guard page. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. There you go. Fair enough. <laughs> but, like – you get what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah, for, for sure. The for intense sure. memification of leg locks is a symptom of like a of a bizarre community fixation on these things. It's almost <laughs> like okay, it's funny. If you go into this, is going to sound very off topic, but I swear it's related. <laughs> Have you ever seen that Pornhub uh, map of the world of like top searches in every area? it's I whatever is, it's whatever is <laughs> taboo in every area that's what's most searched. so like countries where like homosexuality is illegal like gay porn is the most searched shit there oh my right? god <laughs> like in the deep south of the u.s interracial is the most common search term right where like that's like you know like racist people in the south like frown upon that and stuff right so you have so like with leg locks i feel like it almost has been like that right where like you have, like, because it was shitted up for so long, you had this overreaction where people were like, actually, leg locks are the sickest shit of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, it's like, all right, let's 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 meet. I want to meet in the middle. I want to meet in the middle and just sort of, like, you know, calibrate things back to
0: normal. And I hope that that's what can happen now with the IBJF Nogi tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I yeah. think another thing that we kind of have to touch on is your opinion on how you think this will impact who the champions are in each division. Do you feel like they're going to be overtaken? Do you feel like they're going to be able to seamlessly add these techniques and these positions and keep their top spots? Like, What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, all the Brazilians are going to lose. It's only, <laughs> going, to be, only going to be Americans. And it's only going to be people who who train uh, only Nogi. No, it's. I don't even think it's going to change that much. Like, We're going to see the change happen – the top guys are like the, the guys who are winning the world's level. I don't like right now, the black belts, I don't think that's going to look very different, but what's going to happen is over time, the guys who win are going to be a combination of positional advancement and submission skill. And leg locks are going to be a part of that submission skill. They're like, you know what I mean? Like, okay. So like, if uh, I hate being called a leg locker because like, okay. Um, PJ Barch is a grappler who I like studying. He's got very good arm locks, especially Kimuras. Does anyone ever say, I don't know, I never hear anyone say something like this. Oh, PJ Barch, he's an arm locker. No, <laughs> just say he's good at arm locks, right? Yeah. Why is it a part of who you are as a person? <laughs> you know, like It's like assigned to you as um, like an identity trait, right? Like, And I, I think that, um, you like I said before, you're going to see leg locks just sort of being a normal thing now. And I think that what you're going to see is five years from now, I think the current crop of champions will not look that different. I think a lot of the same guys are going to win except for whatever weight class I do. Cause I'm, you know, I'm not kidding right. <laughs> that's the goal. Uh, but like, um, and, and like, and if, okay, it's like this, if new people do win, it's not going to be just because of leg locks, right? Like no right. one's going to win just cause like, there's not going to be anyone that goes in that tournament and just only wins. They're only good at leg locks and nothing else. And that's why they won. Right. That will, I I highly doubt that'll happen, and if it does happen, it'll happen like a few times and not very often. Um, maybe more at the brown belt level, you might see that actually, because it's happening at brown too. Um, yep. Yeah, Um I definitely think I'll win brown belt mogi worlds with heel hooks i i there's too many weight class i'll just pick one where no one good there's no one that good <laughs> <laughs> and then like all the black the black belts the guys who really could test me won't they won't be in the bracket <laughs> so like yeah i think i think brown belt nogi rolls i should definitely win uh but like because i am technically still a brown belt so um anyway so like yeah i don't i don't think at first it'll look that different i just think you're gonna see a very gradual change over time in the type of grappler that emerges as a successful champion, you know what I mean? hmm
0: definitely. So, yeah, that was pretty much, I feel like that was a pretty comprehensive discussion <laughs> on the RBJGF and and the yeah. heel hooks and stuff. Was there any other topics related to that or anything else you wanted to touch on?
1: Um. No, I mean, I just, I, I what I, I hope, I I really hope that, um, like, I want to see a more unified jujitsu community. Like, Me that's too ultimately- yeah, that's ultimately what I want, and I I am willing to accept the IBGF as our rightful overlords if that means <laughs> <laughs> we can have that. So, like I, you know, that's that's you know, I've, I've a, a few people have told me like, ah, oh, when you start competing for them, you're gonna like hate them. You're gonna understand why everybody hates them so much, and maybe that's the case. But I I see the massive benefits, and I I, I hope that. I hope that it pushes things in the way that I'm predicting, but only time will tell.
0: Yeah, and I feel like another common criticism of the IBJJF is like favoritism and stuff like that. I mean, they're pretty much the only organization I've competed in, and I could not look more American, and I have right. not noticed a bias against me at all. Right. So I, I don't. Hopefully, that doesn't deter anyone from competing who maybe wasn't competing before because of the heel hooks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, everybody says that. Everybody says the bias is there, but like, and I, I even said it because I hear it so often. But I, I guess I don't really have any hard evidence to demonstrate it.
0: Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't personally. I don't see it. And I watch a lot of IBJJF competitions, but, but who knows? I mean, I'm sure there's examples where it did happen. Yeah. Hopefully, they've become less frequent.
1: <laughs> well, a, a theory. Maybe a last thing I'll I'll leave this with to, to yeah. piss to piss off any American Nogi guys that haven't already pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a theory that a lot of the people who say stuff like that are just salty that, like, Brazilians still win most of the time. Like, when you look at the widespread dominance of the Brazilians, even in ADCC, in any meaningful points tournament, the Brazilians dominate it, right? Yeah. And then there, there's, there are historical reasons for that. Like, I mentioned, for instance, that there were 12 men to win the ADCC trials and then win the World Championship. And 10 of them were from the South American trials. Well, of the two that won the North American trials, no European or Asian guys ever won after winning the trials. Um, Of the two that were, that won the North American trials and then won the worlds, one of them was Brazilian, Pablo Popovich. There's only been one American to ever win. There's only been one person who's not Brazilian to ever win the trials and then win the world championships. It was Dean Lister in 2003. That was 17 fucking years ago. So like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah like and like if you look at the medal count the brazilians very clearly dominate and ADCC allows heel hooks so this idea that like oh if you allow i mean that's really all you need to look at if you if, if, if the idea that if you allow heel hooks brazilians just start losing left and right is not true because they're not right like um yeah, yeah. so yeah um Hopefully you guys get what I'm saying. You don't hate me too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. No, well, we really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. No like I was saying before, uh, we, our conversation over Instagram was was really good so I just wanted to make sure that people could, could hear your thoughts on it because I think you have a really unique perspective. So yeah, we just really appreciate you coming on and uh, do you have any sponsors or anything you want to shout out?
1: Uh, no sponsors. Actually talking to somebody right now but it's not official so I'm not going to say anything yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, – if you guys are interested in my instructionals, I have one specifically on leglock defense. It, it, uh, I, it's leglock defense and guard retention. I tried to devise like a, a single coherent defensive system from the guard position, uh, and I think it's the most comprehensive uh, leglock defense instructional out there. That's why – I thought it was a topic that like really needed more widespread like systematic discussion, so that's why I made the instructional. Um, it's on my website, robertdeaglebjjonline.com, and I, ha- I have two others as well on there. I have one that's also relevant to this conversation, which is I have a joint lock one where I, I try to situate arm locks and leg locks within the wider positional strategy of jiu-jitsu and explain how you can do that. So it's like – it's basically it's leg locking for people that want to pass guard,
0: if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. So so what's the, the name of your website where people can get those videos?
1: robert deagle d-e-g-l-e b-j-j online.com uh, and if you for, for whatever reason you can't find it it's in my ig bio and my ig is robert deagle robert d-e-g-l-e b-j-j that's pretty easy to
0: find awesome and we'll uh, we'll link that in our post as well on instagram so people will be able to find it so yeah so for our sponsors uh, we'd like to thank high tier photography agro brand maracaba bjj Jiu Jitsu. Um, election performance, like, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, open guard cast 25 is our coupon code for 25% off their programs. And yeah, that I think that about does it. And Jake will be back on next week's episode. He just competed last night. We're recording this on the 24th. He competed last night, Friday, the 23rd, um, against Mateus Luna and he got a unanimous decision victory at fight to win. So definitely send him a message and congratulate him. He had a really, really good performance. Um, So yeah, we will see you guys soon, and this was Open GuardCast episode 54. Thanks, everyone, for listening.